Good morning. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in as we hit a couple of passages. And if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up and our ushers will give you one that you can use for the service. And if you receive one of those Bibles and you do not have a Bible of your own currently, will you please just keep that Bible as our gift to you? Um, One more thing I want to add to um, our anticipation of next weekend and Resurrection Sunday is that uh, we will once again do uh, baptisms um, during that service. What a perfect time to be baptized as a a symbol of all that Christ has done for you, uh, his work on the cross and through the grave. Um, So if you are interested in being baptized, um, please let us know. Just talk to me or contact our church office. If you'd like to be baptized next Sunday morning during our Easter Sunday service, it is an important thing to do. There's no question. We've covered it here before many times. It is an act of submission to God. Jesus said, repent and be baptized. It is an act of identification with Christ in the going down into the grave and coming back up, being risen again to life. And is an act of declaration where we get to declare publicly what Jesus has done for us and how it has changed and saved our lives. So, Please do take advantage of that. If you have not yet been baptized, um, next Sunday morning is a great opportunity for you to do that. Just let us know. Well, welcome to the start of Holy Week. Um, We are entering today into another phase of our journey that we've been on for the last several weeks. Our 40 days looking to Jesus is bringing us closer and closer to Easter weekend, next weekend. Um, On the way, We get to pause and remember once again the day when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and was hailed as king for a brief fleeting moment before taking the final steps on his journey to the cross. Last Sunday, we spent some time looking at Matthew 6, 25 to 34, and I want to go back there briefly to remind you of what Jesus said and to connect all of this to our journey I love the way that God is tying all this together, and I'm so encouraged to hear what God is doing in so many lives here at this church right now. It truly does have an impact on our lives when we look to Jesus. When God gets more attention than he's had before, he responds to that. He speaks and guides and assures and encourages, and I'm hearing much about what he's been doing in your lives as we've set our eyes on on his son and allowed him to speak to us. Stay focused. Look to Jesus. And if you haven't engaged in this so far, I would encourage you to to do that this week. Um, Never too late to jump in on that. Set time aside to just talk to God, to think about the reality of eternity, to lay aside and cast off any and everything of this world that's weighing you down. Set time aside to pray more than you usually do, to read the Bible more, to reach out and encourage the people in your life as a way to join Jesus in his mission. Set time aside to invest in eternal things, to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Identify the things in your life that are keeping you from focusing on Jesus Christ. Fight for a deeper connection with your father. Trade in your earthly pursuits for heavenly pursuits. Have conversations, do activities, think about things that have eternal significance. Look to Jesus this week. Last Sunday, we examined the words of Jesus about the anxiety that we experience regarding our lives. Turn to Matthew 6 and let's remind ourselves of what he said 
note that once again we can see just how well Jesus identified with the things that we face in life as humans in a fallen world. When Jesus talks like this about things like anxiety, we really ought to take note of just how well he connects with us, how well he connects with his creation. Um, Did Jesus worry about his life? No, he didn't. But he had enough compassion towards us to see how much we struggle with it and to help us deal with the weight of anxiety. He comes to where we are rather than sitting at a distance in some perfect above-it-all mindset expecting us to come to his level. He enters our world. He sees into our hearts and our minds and meets us where we're at. And so he says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than. Last week I made several statements about life being more than the things of this earth that we pour ourselves into. Um, This is what I said. I said, life is more than having the best food to eat. Life is more than having the finest drinks. Life is more than wearing the latest fashion trends. Life is more than having the latest technology. Life is more than having the newest cars. Life is more than owning the biggest house. Life is more than installing the latest style of kitchen cabinets. Life is more than taking the most popular vacation. Life is more than wearing the most stylish makeup. Life is more than six-pack abs. Life is more than the latest gaming system. Life is more than craft beer. Life is more than a perfect lawn. Life is more than a five-car garage. Life is more than the physical realm. Life is more than making what we think is enough. Life is more than trying to keep up with the Joneses. Life is more than the American dream. Life is more than spending money. Life is more than a fat retirement fund. Life is more than new shoes, new jeans, new jewelry, new toys. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And please understand that this is not a judgment. None of these things in themselves are evil. What we, myself included, stumble on is the value that we assign to them. We pour a lot of energy and passion and resources into things that we think are more valuable than they really are. Let me tell you about one way in which this has been uh, driven home for me recently. Um, I've shared with you before about the passion that I have for food, Um, from the planting and harvesting of food to the cooking and eating of food. I derive a great deal of pleasure from food. Is food evil? No, of course not. God has given us this endless variety of food and the sense of taste so that we can enjoy it fully. And I do enjoy it. What's that question is the amount of value that we assign, that I assign, to food. Uh, When we started our 40 days looking to Jesus focus, I decided that I would fast during this time to really address the value that I gave food. Um, That did not turn out quite as great as I thought it would be. (laughs) Uh, It created some really pathetic experiences for me. Early on, I found myself going, okay, I'm going to skip this meal. And during that time, I'm going to focus on Jesus. That's what we're doing, right? Looking to Jesus. Instead, I would focus on what I was going to make for dinner if I was skipping lunch. (laughs) It didn't go well. It was pretty sad. It was, uh, 
It was pathetic. But I started to wrestle with it, and, and, and my response was growing. I was making some, some progress, and I was feeling like I was fighting to stay focused on Jesus and accomplishing that, and that, that things were happening, that I was raising him up in my heart and in my mind. Well, the, the week before last, I went in to see my doctor. Um, I was in the pro- process of switching doctors. I was looking for a doctor that was closer to home, for starters, and, and would work more closely with me. Someone I, I really felt I was going to get the attention that I needed from. Uh, as I enter into this year, turning 50 and into that stage of my life, I thought it'd be important to have <laughs> a good doctor uh, who will help me not be so afraid of this phase of my life. So we were establishing a new baseline for me. Um, and he had had me come in and, and do some blood work for him. And I did that. And, and then uh, his office called and said, um, Dr. Ingham would like you to come in and do another round of blood work. It's like, okay. And, and all she could say was the numbers were a little off. And so I, I came in a little concerned and, and did another round of tests and um, blood work and some other stuff. So I showed up then for my follow-up appointment the week before last. And um, my doctor sat in front of me and he said, we have a lot to talk about. You have diabetes. Now, this did not catch me by surprise as much as it caught him by surprise. And uh, maybe some of you as well, because that, that's not typically spoken by a 49-year-old. Um, both of my parents have diabetes, And my younger sister, who's five years younger than me, also has diabetes. And so in me, there was part of this, okay, when's it coming? When's it going to happen? I thought it would be later than this. But there it was sometime in uh, from the last six months ago to a year ago, sometime in that period, this diabetes thing came on me hard. And there it was. Um, it, it was not something that I'd seen earlier. I had been checked regularly for this because of my family history, but now here it was, it showed up. Um, I didn't have symptoms that would indicate the presence of diabetes. My blood pressure was good. Cholesterol level, good. Everything was fine, but there it was. And it came on quickly. So I sat for 45 minutes and I listened to instructions from my doctor on how things were now going to go. And, and it just all felt honestly quite surreal as I just went, oh, he's talking about me. And there it was. Um, My love for food had just taken one nasty blow. And as I've researched the things that I have to give up or dramatically cut back on, I have to admit I've been pretty discouraged. Um, That's not a good thing. Um, This is a joy sucker for someone like me. It just really is. But it is not a big thing. It's not a big thing. There are much worse conditions that I could have than diabetes. This is not a big thing. This is nothing that I expect anyone to feel sorry for me about. Um, I've done that myself already, so that's done. <laughs> but, but I shouldn't be. The, the changes that I have to make in my life are all positive ones. Um, I will be a healthier person as a result. But I did have to come face to face with the value that I have assigned food. Jesus said, is not life more than food? Is not life more than physical, earthly things? Is not life more than the pursuit of physical, earthly pleasure? 
Now, I wasn't worried about having enough food, which is what Jesus addressed in Matthew 6. Um, God's always provided for me and my family more than enough. What I was doing, though, was laying up for myself an, an earthly form of treasure that I think all of us have a tendency to lay up. I was laying up, stockpiling, literally stockpiling for myself, pleasurable earthly experiences. Pleasurable earthly experiences. I was investing a lot too much into my next culinary experience. Food had taken on too much value for me. And now here I am fighting with my human nature, trying to put an earthly pursuit back into perspective. Now this battle is not over. It's going to last the rest of my life. But, but I love what God is showing me along the way. Um, This confrontation with my earthly pursuit has created opportunities for eternal experiences that I am very, very grateful for. Um, Unexpectedly, this has had a very positive effect on one of my sons in how he relates to me. Now, my sons have all responded to this really well. They're kind of cute in the way they they do it. Um, But Jude has had this remarkable reaction to this. Um, he's asking a lot of questions, a lot of very important questions about important things. This has awakened in him a, a level of compassion that I've never seen before. He's determined to support me in his own 10-year-old boy way. He turned down dessert the other day, stating that he had had enough sugar for that day. <laughs> How many 10-year-old boys are, boys are going to say that? Oh, I've had enough sugar for today, thanks. We were out for lunch recently, and without any prompting whatsoever, he ordered brown rice as his side, something that I'm going to have to switch to. He did it all on his own, and he made this great statement a few days ago. He was asking me some more questions about uh, the diabetes, and and then he made this statement. It just cracks me up that God's bringing him to this point. He said, Dad, it just seems like everyone has to struggle with some challenge in life. And then he he talked about his own. He said, I split my head open and I had to get stitches. Asher split his head open and he had to get stitches. (laughs) Mom had that hip injury when she was a teenager. You've got this diabetes thing, Dad. And Liam, well, you know something's going to happen to Liam eventually. (laughs) He says, just look at the way Liam lives his life. He said, at some point, he's going to split his head open and have to have stitches. (laughs) God is uh, using even this small challenge in my life. Why? Because life is more than food. Life is more than the physical earthly realm that we temporarily live in. God has a greater purpose for all of this and will use us and our experiences for his purpose. For his purpose. Life as God designed it is not the pursuit of earthly pleasure. Life is the pursuit of our Father. His kingdom. That's what we want to talk about today. Turn now to Luke chapter 12 in your Bibles. Luke 12. 
I know this seems a little out of place. It's not from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not about Palm Sunday. But I want to show you another occasion when Jesus talked about the exact same things as what we talked about last week. This is almost identical to what he said in Matthew 6. Re-emphasizing his perspective on worrying. This is Luke 12, verses 22 to 31. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give them to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See how Jesus ties together so much of what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. This was important to him. He needed us to hear this message. There are a few things that I want to highlight in Jesus' words here in Luke 12. First of all, remember how we talked about the birds of the air last week. Um, The point that Jesus was making was that our Father takes care of them, so how much more will he take care of us, his children? Well, here in Luke, the ravens are specifically identified as an example of the birds God takes care of. But let me show you just one more level of emphasis that Jesus uses here. It has to do with using ravens specifically as his example. There was a a particular reputation surrounding ravens that was not true about just any kind of bird. Because of their scavenger tendencies, ravens were considered unclean animals. People wouldn't eat ravens or keep them as pets, nor would they give them any respect at all because they were considered unclean. Factor that into what Jesus was saying. Our Father cares enough to meet the needs of an unclean animal. Our Father cares enough to meet the needs of the outcast, disrespected raven. How much more then will your Father care about you and your needs? 
There's an even deeper display of our father's love and care for his children. Would our perfect father provide for the needs of the lowly ravens yet ignore or deny the needs of his own children? No way. No way. Then I want you to notice the gentle love in Jesus' voice in verse 32. Look at what he says. Look at the first four words of verse 32. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Just let that sink in. The eternal king of kings, the creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, perfect son of God refers to us as little sheep. He affirms with his words the fact that he is our great shepherd and that we can trust his care. Our father, the one who owns us and is assigned to us, the perfect shepherd will meet the needs of his sheep. We have nothing to fear. We need not worry. We need not be anxious. We need not stress about today or tomorrow. God loves us and will care perfectly for every single one that he's created. And finally, from this passage in Luke 12, note the rest of verse 32. Jesus says, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The one true king of the only eternal kingdom is our father. And unlike any, uh, any king I've ever known or heard of, this king delights to give his kingdom away. There's no sense of obligation on his part. There's no measured stinginess. There's no exam that we have to pass to earn this right. There's no contest to see which one of his children will earn this unspeakable treasure. This king, our father, takes pleasure in giving his children his kingdom. So let's spend some time examining what this kingdom is that Jesus is talking about here. Because there was this crowd along the road to Jerusalem one day later in Jesus' life who hailed him as their king. And out of their actions that that day, we've received this remembrance that we call Palm Sunday. What was going on here? And what can we learn from Jesus throughout his life and ministry that can help us better understand what this kingdom is that God desires to give us? What can we learn from our study of the Sermon on the Mount that will help us see God's kingdom more clearly as we try to seek our Father and his kingdom first and allow him to meet our needs? Jesus told us to seek God and his kingdom. Jesus told us that his Father takes pleasure in giving us his kingdom. That all sounds great. I want God to give me the kingdom That would be very nice. We've been promised that when we seek God's kingdom, God will provide everything that we need for this life and beyond. There's a lot at stake here. So have we been left then to create for ourselves our own version of what God's kingdom might actually look like? Well, the crowd that hailed Jesus as their king on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago seems to have done just that. They had created in their minds a vision of what God's kingdom should look like. Their dreams and goals were going to be fulfilled, they thought. The Messiah was going to restore the nation of Israel and would cause them all to prosper as God's people. Now, I wonder what we would come up with if we were left to create an image of what God's kingdom should look like. 
Well, there would have to be a long list of benefits for us, wouldn't there? If God wants to give us his kingdom, certainly that would mean that we would be safe and comfortable. We would live in luxury if God's kingdom was delivered to us. How could we not? God is infinitely wealthy and we are infinitely worthy. So God, bring it on. Fix our lives. Restore our significance and security. Give us what we want. The Bible uses this word basilia in the original Greek, and I'm afraid it does not mean rich and famous. It's not what God's kingdom is all about. Basilia is a term related to royalty. It refers to the reign of Jesus Christ. What God finds pleasure in giving his children is the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are being offered by God the power of his son, Jesus Christ, to rule in our lives. We are being generously offered by our loving father to have Jesus, the perfect son of God, as our foundation of power. God, our father, is giving us Jesus, the king. Our father is pleased to give us through the reign of his son, Jesus, all the power of heaven and eternity. Can you begin to grasp just how significant this is? Jesus has instructed us in Matthew 6 and Luke 12 to seek first the basilia of God. And through that basilia, everything we need will be provided. We have been invited to come under the rule and reign of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And by accepting that rule and reign, we are guaranteed to receive everything we will ever need. We're not being offered all the money we think we need. We're not being offered all the provision for our physical well-being that we think we need. We're not being offered a comfortable lifestyle here on earth We're not being offered long days and prosperity. We're not being offered a bigger house, newer car, nicer vacation. All these things have already been identified as earthly treasures by Jesus. We're being offered a king. We're not being instructed to seek the things that this king may or may not provide for us. This was the mistake that the Palm Sunday crowd made. Let's not repeat it. We're being asked to seek a king. And the only appropriate thing to do when you find that king is to submit to his rule and reign in your life. You throw yourself at the feet of the king and surrender your life to his authority and his power. He decides what his reign will look like in your life. We don't decide that going into the pursuit. We have a choice. We can create a vision of what we want our lives to look like and then seek a king that will make that vision a reality for us. Or we can seek the one true king and trust him to be the king. He desires to be and to create whatever life he desires for us. We can foolishly think that he will follow us or we can wisely choose to follow him. So what are you seeking in your life? Your vision of what you think your life should be like? Or the one true king 
Have you truly surrendered your life or are you looking to the king, even if he is the one true king, and looking for him to help you live out your dreams? Jesus is instructing us to seek the king first and to leave the outcome, what his kingdom looks like, to him. We've been spending these days looking to Jesus. And the purpose of this time of focus is to get our eyes fixed on Jesus and off our earthly circumstances. But what are we seeking him for? Are we coming to him because we're pursuing him? Or are we still, like the crowd on Palm Sunday, coming to him to see if he'll get behind our plans and our desires? We've been told by Jesus to seek first the kingdom of God. He's instructing us to seek first the reign of Jesus. We're to seek the power and authority of Jesus. We're to seek as our foundation, Jesus. He is to become our king. That's the result of seeking him. Looking to Jesus means looking to our king. It means submitting to his power, his royalty, his reign, his authority. I've realized recently just how easy it is for me to seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. I've realized that we are often not far removed from that crowd on Palm Sunday outside Jerusalem. We want the power of a king to fuel our plans. We want the blessing of a king to make us feel good about what we're doing. We want the words of a king to back up our own thoughts. We want the king to come alongside us. But all along, the king has been simply asking for us to want him. Last Sunday, we struggled with our lack of trust in our father. Many of us struggle with this. I think that we develop that lack of trust often because God failed in some way to lend his power to our plans. The crowds outside Jerusalem lost their trust in Jesus. He didn't fulfill their plans the way they thought he should, so they abandoned him. They stopped trusting him. That trust is called faith. The right thing for us to do is to fully surrender to the king and trust his will. Faith is believing that the unseen king is a good king and that his will is perfect. Faith is seeking the king, not the potential benefits that come with knowing the king. Faith is surrender to the king. One of the greatest privileges we have in this life is the access we have to evidence that helps us see who this king is that we're trying so hard to trust. There's so much that we can draw on to build our trust. On the side of a hill in a passage of scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount... We've been given a clear look at our king. There's so much for us to see there. Think about all that we've seen throughout our study since last summer. We've been given a look into the values of this king. In the Beatitudes, Jesus spelled out what's important to him. His picture of what we're to look like on the inside is stunning. This is his desire for us. We've seen the authority of Jesus as the one who came to fulfill God's law perfectly. Only he could do that. We've seen the humility of our king as he speaks of his dependence on his father, even him. 
We've seen the affirmation that he offers as he refers to us as light and salt. We've seen the economy of this king, not at all like the economy of this world. He directs us to lay up for ourselves eternal treasures. We've seen the generosity of our king as he promises rewards that he will most certainly deliver. We've seen and heard the message of this king. A message to not fear or be anxious, but to trust his care and love for us. This is the king we seek. We're not to worry about what his plans for us might be. We're to simply seek him and find him to be totally trustworthy. We're not to worry about how he will use his power and whether or not it will benefit us. He is the king and we're to trust him. On Palm Sunday, the crowd was looking for a foundation of power. They were looking for a kingdom, but they looked for the wrong kind of power. They were looking for a self-serving, self-promoting, self-preserving kind of power. They should have been looking for a king. If they were looking for a king instead of a leader for their kingdom, they would have found a trustworthy, loving, generous, humble, wise, all-powerful king. They would have found Jesus. Long before his arrival, um, God's people heard that their king would come. Daniel had a vision in which he saw that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all earthly kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Sadly, God's people over time lost sight of the king and replaced him with their version of a kingdom. So which one are you seeking first? A kingdom or the king? Are you seeking a king to help you rule your kingdom? Or are you seeking a king, trusting that king to establish his kingdom in your life? Let's not make the same mistake that the crowd on Palm Sunday made. Let's not miss the king for the perceived benefits of his kingdom. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, he was saying, seek me. Seek me. Seek my reign in your life. Seek me and let me be the one who provides everything you need. Trust me. Trust my love for you. Let me take things from here. God spoke through the prophet Zechariah long before Jesus came, saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coal, the foal of a donkey. Chapel Hill Church, behold your king. He is inviting us to seek him. He has salvation to offer us. Is that not enough for us to trust him? Trust him to be your perfect king and to have a perfect plan for your life. Seek him with everything you've got. We have one more week left in our 40-day journey. And I would encourage you as you look to Jesus this week to look for his love. 
Focus on his love. Focus specifically on the love that Jesus has for you. On Friday evening at 7 o'clock, we're going to gather here in this room and we're going to remember the greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever witnessed. Join us on Friday as we bring to a climax this journey that we've been on together. And then join us again next Sunday when we celebrate the power of our King as he rose from the grave and conquered death forever. Keep your eyes on him. Behold your King. Trust him. He loves you. And he desires to be who he came to be. Our perfect, perfect king. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now on the worship team as we close our time together here this morning. Let's pray together while they come. Lord Jesus, you are our king. Blessed are you. We praise you for being our king. Father God, we praise you for loving us so much that you would send a king for us. To come down to where we are. To reveal you to us. To show us through word and deed. Not just what the kingdom looks like. But who the king is. Father I pray that. For every one of us. We would not make the mistake of creating in our minds a kingdom and then inviting you to come and give it authority. God, help us to do the right thing first, to come to you, to seek you, and to accept what we find there, the king that we find there. Help us to fully totally 100% invite the reign of Jesus Christ, the rule of Jesus Christ, the authority and power of Jesus Christ into our lives. Help us to daily surrender those lives to you and your reign. Help us to start every day acknowledging the fact that we have a king and his name is Jesus Christ. And to trust our king. As through him, you, Father, you give us the kingdom. Thank you for delighting in that. Thank you for finding pleasure in giving your children your kingdom. What a humbling thought. God, help us today, right now. To offer up to you total reign total rule, total authority in our lives. God, as we anticipate what's coming next weekend, that tremendous remembrance and celebration of what Jesus did on the cross and through the grave, 
on the way there, help us see the face of Jesus more clearly than we ever have. Help us to seek him. Help us to look to Jesus every minute of every day. Find him to be everything that we need. God, you are so gracious and generous with us. We praise you for being so trustworthy and loving and kind and compassionate. Praise you for caring about us so much. Take our lives. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.